All right, you guys. Uh, we're going to start off with a pop quiz real fast to get us rolling. Uh, it's been a month since I've been on stage in front of you guys. It's the longest period of time I've ever gone without giving a sermon since I've been on staff as the lead student pastor in four years. So it's kind of weird for me not to be here, but I'm back, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. So um, I have these three hats that say, look for the good, embroidered, all beautiful. And I got three pop quiz questions. So if I see a hand go up and you get the answer right, I'm going to ask you to come right up here on stage. Question number one, what's the theme for our summer trips? Anybody know? I'll give you a hint. You got to raise your hand. You didn't raise your hand, but he did. Look for the good. Jaron, come on up on the stage. Come right up here. Not on stage because I think bad things would happen. All right. Second question. Right there. Right there. I'll knock you down. Who wrote most of the Psalms? What do you got? David. David. Chase, right up here. Last question. What is the title of our current teaching series? In the back. Yeah, Jack. Praying the Psalms. What's up? Come on up here. You guys, look at your winners and applaud them for being quick. Good job, you guys. You can take a seat. What? I said I had three hats. I never meant anything about giving them to you. Sit down. Are you disappointed, Jaron? I'm glad. Because today... We are talking about praying your disappointment. So, sucka, let's define what disappointment is. Here we go. Disappointment. I love the phonetic. It's the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. These three young men had a hope, an expectation that they would receive something, and they didn't because their pastor's a jerk, and now they're disappointed. They're feeling sad. They're feeling a displeasure. I heard a lawsuit threatened, right? Synonyms, defeat, to be conquered, crushed, overcome. Anybody in this room ever been disappointed? Anybody want to share, like, 10 seconds or so? Like, give me an example of when you've been disappointed before. Matthias. Gotta love that. So Matthias went to homecoming with this young lady, and rather than them spend a lot of time together, have a good time dance, she just on her phone the whole time. Yeah, that would that would suck. What else? Who's got one? Your teacher wouldn't pass. Were you going to class? Were you doing your work? I would totally be disappointed. Teacher wouldn't pass her the last six weeks of school. That's lame. Who else? What do you got, Bean? One point away from being qualified to go to this competition. One, like just one, and they wouldn't let her go. Yeah, it's totally, you like right there, you're right at the finish line, but you're like, nope, no prize for you. Anybody else? One more? What do you got? Daniel. You only got a 24. My brain says, to you, but one out of 26 on his HCT only got a 24. 
I've been lucky to walk away with a seven. All right, you guys, you all know what it feels like to be, to be disappointed. You all know what it feels like to, to be sad or displeased because you, you were almost there, but just like not quite. Um, I got a picture for, for me. This kind of epitomizes disappointment. Here's a picture of my daughter, Charlotte, when she was three or four. Look at the little squishy. So the white part of the picture, that's a lake. And Charlotte and I, we were on a hike. We were on a walk out on the golf course. And we're like, we're going to go to the country club, which is over there. And you could see it. But by the time we got to the lake, we realized we couldn't go right because it was trees. We couldn't go left because of a fence. And then there's the lake. So we couldn't get to our destination that we've been hiking toward for a good long while. And for a three-year-old, it was a long while. And so that's disappointment. It's like end of the road. You, you cannot go any further. You expected to go all the way. You, accept, you expected to receive this, but you get nothing for your effort. Um, it's like if I, if I held something out for you that you desperately wanted, and I'm like, you want this? And you said yes, and you got up, and you walked up here, and I said, no, you can't have it. Um, this sermon series that we're in, Praying the Psalms, is built around learning how to process our feelings, how to filter them through our faith, to take our emotions, our feelings, which really, they change with the wind, the weather, with whether or not our belly's full, like our feelings that define so much of us, they change on a whim. And we need to learn how to filter those through truth, which never changes, through Jesus, who never changes. We can't be led around by our feelings. We gotta be led around by truth, by things that don't change. And I needed desperately to filter my feelings through my faith through scripture this week in a bad way. I have not been in a very good mood um, the last two weeks. So two of the weeks that I wasn't here is because I was literally out of state. I went to Oahu, Hawaii, however you say it. So Brooke and I, just the two of us, left the kids with grandma and grandpa. We went on vacation to Oahu. And we've been waiting for this trip for like two and a half years. It was a big deal for us to go away for nine days. Don't put, I didn't say put the picture up. I'll cut off your fingers. But anyway, that's where we were. That's our view. No, you got to go back now, man. That's our view. You could hear the wind through the palm trees, the waves crashing. There was like a little Hawaiian band behind the second pool so you could hear the music, but it wasn't like bothersome. It was just perfect. I mean, that's not the website shot. Like that's my room on the fifth floor where I was for nine days. And then you have the whole of the island to explore and enjoy. And I had grand dreams for this trip. I mean, waiting two and a half years for this vacation. Last year, Brooke and I, no vacation. We went to Galveston for like a weekend. That was all we could afford. That's all we did. It was great. But this trip, this is, these are my plans. Next slide. So everything in red up top, because I'm a planner, those are all the places I want to eat. And I did a lot, a lot of research, like where do the locals go? What are the best restaurants on the entire island? The things in blue on the bottom, those are all the places I want to go hiking. I'd done research of like places that I wanted to go specifically just so I could get one single photo of this waterfall or that tree or this little lady that makes baskets with her toes. Like I was all in on my research and I was going to have this amazing trip. And I needed it, you guys. Um, many of you don't know. Most of you don't. Maybe only a couple do. But like last year, 2016, it was my hardest year in ministry in a decade. I've been in doing church for 10 years on staff at this church. And last year was by far, no contest, the hardest year in ministry. We had multiple people, families gossiping about us, um, asking us for, for Brooke and I to be let go and fired. We had people 
that were unhappy and telling other people about it, but not us. Like, it was brutal. You know what it's like to be talked about and not given a chance to defend yourself. It was really challenging. And all year, I'd get up here and talk to you guys and be with you. But in the back of my mind and heart, I'm just like, God, this sucks. I'm so disappointed. This was supposed to be a great year. So this year, right, 2016 is over and all those things were handled and reconciled and God just showed up at just the right time and did amazing things in every instance, but the whole year was tough. But then this year, 2017, when I sat down and prayed with God about this year, he said this year was going to be different. This is going to be a year of peace and rest on all sides. It's going to be a season of blessing. It's going to be a season of power amongst you guys. Like this year is a different year and it already is. But this trip in my mind was going to be like the herald of all these good things. It was going to be like ushering in this season of blessing. So I had big and high hopes for this trip. So we get there and we got this amazing room and, and people helped us go. Like our room was like half off and um, somebody just gave us a bunch of cash and was like here for your trip. And I'm like, thank you. I didn't get you anything. So you'd think this is going to be this super vacation. But day one, we get off the plane, we go to our room. This is what I have to look at. There's my wife, Brooke, sick as a dog. Brooke was sick. My, my partner, my adventure partner, like it wasn't Justin's vacation. It was Justin and Brooke's vacation. She was sick the whole time. We waited for this trip for two and a half years, and it finally comes, and Brooke is sick. Our first full two days, we just sat in the room because she was so miserable. She couldn't get out of bed. So I just kind of sat and looked at all the people at the beach, and I'm just like, and I just read a book. And then we had all these adventures planned. I got to do two of them. Um, Brooke had all these things that she wanted to do and go, and, and, and she couldn't. She just didn't have it in her. And we would go places, and she'd be like, I just got to stay in the car because I feel horrible. So it was not the vacation I expected. It was not the vacation my soul needed. And then we get home. And I don't know if you guys saw this on social media, but like I've had this car, my, ex, my Xterra, for 18 years, my yellow Lenny, right? That's his name. He died as soon as we got home. Brooke's car, a few days after getting home, smoke billowing, billowing out of the engine. The mechanic's like, I don't know, shoot it. So we had to buy. The week we got home, after spending way more money than we thought we'd have to spend on Hawaii, not one, but two new cars. So we got two new car payments. We got a trip that was in the toilet, and I got a leak in the downstairs shower and got to replace the whole thing. So it's just like, this is the year of yay and blessing. It doesn't feel like it. So I get to work this past week, and I'm like, this is my first week back to speak to you guys, and I want to be excited, but I'm not. Because I'm disappointed. This trip, I'll just be honest, it sucked. It was not good. It, it was nothing like we had expected. And I know you guys know what that feels like. You expect something to happen. You expect to be able to pass, go to your competition, etc. And it's just like, nope, not for you. And that's how I felt this week coming to church. And I sat down, I'm like, God, what am, I don't even know what to talk about. What do you want me to preach on this Sunday? And I opened my Bible to Job. Job, like one of the saddest, most depressing books in the Bible. And I'm like, I feel you, Job. But I know when I open to Job that that's what I'm supposed to talk about because that's where I'm at and that's how I feel. So I open to Job, the oldest book in the Bible and arguably the, the saddest and most depressing too. And I want to give you just an overview of Job's story. And I want you to be thinking about your own disappointment, as I do. 
There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, and he was blameless, the most upright man in the world. This is God talking, so that's not a light statement. He's the holiest man in the world. Now one day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before God. So this contingent of like, not angels, but like way up there angels show up in God's throne room to talk with God because that's what happens up there. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. So Satan, he's, he's already cursed. He's already living down on earth. He's already been banished. But he's up in heaven having a meeting with God. Where have you come from? The Lord asked. And Satan answered God, well, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant, my boy, Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. I would be so honored if God thought even one of those things about me. Now Satan replied to the Lord, yeah, Job, sure, he's all those things, but Job has good reason to fear God, for you have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look, he's the richest man in his whole region. But reach out and take away everything Job has, and he will surely curse you to your face, God. All right, the Lord says, you may test Job. Do whatever you want. Now, to appreciate this, I want to pause, and I want to ask you guys, bring into your mind the worst day you've ever had. Just think about it for a second. What's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? If you don't know it, what is coming to mind? Just think, what's the worst thing you've ever experienced that you've ever heard? What's the, what's the saddest, most depressing piece of news you've ever had to wrestle with or, or receive? Just consider it for a moment. And then I ask you, just between you and the Lord, but how did you respond when that happened to you or when you heard that? What did you do with that news, with that feeling? Well, here's the worst day of Job's life. And, and all of this happened in like 90 seconds. Job, God's favored, protected son, holiest man in the world, having a great day like any other day. He's got his family, he's got his workers, he's got his riches, all of it. And this servant, this messenger really, shows up at Job's house and says, Job, Everything you own was, was just destroyed or stolen. Like, everything you have is gone. Like, I don't even know. Job, I'm here to tell you, everything that you thought was yours this morning is no longer yours. Think about that. Think about when you leave this room, your house burned down and everything you had is gone. That's Job's, like, that's what this guy had to say. Gone. You, Job, you had everything. You have nothing now. You are penniless. Job is processing that. Job is like, what? The what? What is going on? 
and another messenger shows up at that moment and says, Job, everyone who works for you, all the people that you've hired and given work to and that like help you do all that you do, like all those people, not the stuff, the people, they're dead. All of they, they were just set upon by raiders and they were murdered to the last man and one. They're all dead. Everybody that you could count on in your professional life is dead and gone. Like you have nothing, Job. You, you have no one, Job. Job reeling. Can you imagine the shock and the, oh my God, what am I going to do? As he's processing that, another messenger shows up. Job, all your kids were at this house having dinner together. The roof collapsed. They are all dead. Not Tim died and Sarah and Mike, they're okay. No, they're all dead. Your kids are gone. Put yourself in this man's shoes. Back to back to back, that news. You have nothing, you have no one, your kids are dead. How would you respond? What would you do? What did Job do? Job stood up and he tore his robe in grief, this sign of like, this is too much for me. And then he fell to the ground to worship the Lord. What? Job, do you understand what just happened to you? He stood up, tore his robe, fell to the ground, and worshiped God. And he said, I came naked from my mother's womb into this world, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me everything I had, and he's taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God, by cursing God. Job just had the three worst pieces of nose basically a person can get, and he worshiped God and said, God is God, and I am not. Who am I to complain or point fingers? Job acknowledged, yes, I'm hurt, yes, I am disappointed, but I trust God anyway. Would that be your response? I wonder what my response would be. So, a little time goes by. And the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord. And God said to Satan, my servant Job has maintained his integrity. Even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. And Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes To sit among the ashes is like declaring to everyone around you, my life is horrible. I I don't even know what to do right now. And he's in such miserable pain, he can't... Have you ever had poison ivy? Multiply it by a thousand. He's scraping his own skin with a broken shard of pottery. That's how miserable he is. His wife, still around, still alive. His partner, his brook bear. She comes to him and she said, as he's sitting there in ashes, like declaring, I need help. 
are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Job, you should curse God and kill yourself right now. That's what she said. That's her advice. Curse God and kill yourself. How bad was it that Job had boils? I looked it up. I have a little... The pictures of boils were too disgusting to show to you. So I just showed you this little graphic. That's one boil, this inflamed redness. It's full of like icky stuff. And sooner or later it pops and it hurts and it itches and it's horrible. And there were images of what it actually looks like. And I was like, it's too disgusting to show you guys. So I told myself, if you told me you wanted to see it, I'd show it to you. Do you want to see a picture or do you not want to see a picture? If you don't want to see a picture... Look at the floor, and if you look up, it's your fault. But I want to, we're talking real, like this is what happened. So, look at the floor. This is what Job looked like. Covered in boils that hurt and itched so bad he had to scrape himself with pottery. All right, take it away. Take it away. It's too horrible. You guys, what would you say, what would you do? If you were covered in boils that hurt, like, how would you respond after losing your family? Your wife just cursed you. All your stuff is gone. All right. Job replied to his wife's advice to just curse God and kill himself. This is what this man said. Wife, you're speaking foolishly. Should we accept only good things from God and never anything bad? God, can you imagine? Honey, should, should we only expect just rainbows and sunshine all day, every day, and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong and did not curse God's name. Again, Job is in this place. He's acknowledging, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, but I trust God. Well, finally, it looks like Job's going to get some relief. In chapter 3, Job's three best friends show up. They hear of the tragedy that he suffered. They get together and they travel from their homes to, it says, comfort and console him. Oh, thank God for friends. Imagine your three best friends and you're having the worst week of your life and they're coming to comfort and console you. This is how Job's friends comforted and consoled him in the worst week of his life. They give him 34 chapters of bad advice and ultimately say, we love you, but you probably deserve this. Um, you probably did something to earn this. All of this, is sure, it's your fault. That's the advice that they gave him. You're having the worst day of your life and Gabe comes over to comfort you and said, oh, by the way, Matt, yeah, you deserve this. We don't really like you. He would do that. Let's review. Reasons Job has to be disappointed. Everything he owns is destroyed. All of his kids are dead. His health is ruined. His wife has left him now. His friends blame him. And the only advice that he's gotten so far is, curse God and kill yourself. Now listen to this statement, because I feel like God gave it to me, and it's pretty profound. Job had every reason to commit suicide. He had every reason to kill himself, take his own life but he knew that he didn't have the right. Job had every reason to kill himself, but he knew he did not have the right. 
Because Job knew what we so often forget. God is God and I am not. I was in this room over here, the gym, playing basketball with my son before this service. And he asked me about my shirt because he's wearing one too and he doesn't know what it means. It means he is greater than I. And I explained that to him. And my five-year-old little boy, I said, do you know what that means? He is greater than I. And he said, God is greater than me. And I said, why? And he said, because he made me. God made you. God is greater than you. So what right do I have or you have to take our life that belongs to God? Do you see this glorious specimen of man in front of you? Do you realize that this is a borrowed sack of dirt that I will return to God when I die? I'm not taking this with me. We belong to God. In the book of Job, his story, him walking through, this really happened. It's an encouragement for us to remember some things. One, Satan will discourage you in this life. From now until you die, and you know it's already started, he will do everything he can to discourage you, just like he did with Job. Know that. You know it. What does G.I. Joe say? Knowing's half the battle. Know that Satan will discourage you. Know that people will probably desert you. I've been alive for 41 years. I had a lot of people that have just walked out of my life when I needed them. And you probably too, too. People desert each other. And God will disappoint you. He will. And thank God that he will disappoint you. Because I have prayed for a lot of stuff in my life. And I challenge you guys right now, who has received everything that they've ever prayed for? Anybody? Because I haven't. And thank God that I haven't received everything that I prayed for. Because some of the stuff I prayed for was stupid and selfish. Some of the things that I prayed for, if God gave it to me, I never would have married Brooke. I wouldn't have my kids. I wouldn't be your student pastor. All of which are things that I would never trade for anything. But I prayed for things before those things happened that were completely opposite of that. Thank God he doesn't just give us whatever we want. Because I would be a spoiled brat a 41-year-old prima donna. And I already wrestled with that, as you know. But thank God that he disappoints us by not just giving us everything he wants because he's not a vending machine. So that's something we're encouraged to remember from the book of Job. Satan will discourage you, people will desert you, and God will disappoint you by not just handing it out. But that will never make it okay to curse God or to kill yourself. That's the message. We don't have the right. We belong to the Lord. What right do I have to curse my maker? Anybody making some art for the art show or some, who's making cookies for the bake sale? What would you do if your cookie stood up after you make them and said, go to hell? <laughs> what? I made you, evil cookie. Not really. But what right do these cookies do these creations have to curse their maker? We, we have no idea how truly sovereign and great and glorious God is. But we walk around just thinking, the world revolves around me and I should always get what I want. And that is a dangerous viewpoint. Because if that's your viewpoint and things like this happen to you in this life, and I'll give you a hint right now, a little free advice, things like this will happen to you in this life. And if you have a viewpoint of, I just get whatever I want, I'm the king of the world, your disappointment will overtake you. 
When I think of Job and when I think of his trials, I, am, I do struggle with the fact that, oh, well, of course he walked through those things well because he had this huge advantage, right? He was the holiest man in the world. Of course he could walk through that stuff. But what I noticed when I was reading Job this past week was this. Job didn't have the advantage. I do. And you do. Because as I already pointed out, it's the oldest book in the Bible, right? It was written before Genesis, before anything else. So what does that mean? It means there was no scripture. There was no Bible for Job to turn to when he was struggling and suffering so that he could be encouraged, so that he can see, oh, it does turn out. He had no idea that there would be a Messiah to come and save him. He had no idea that, that God loved him so passionately and would redeem it. Like, he had no clue that was a heaven. He thought, I'm going to, I'm going to, he had no idea there was a heaven and he still didn't kill himself knowing that he would go to heaven or hell. I mean, just get your mind around that. It's crazy. He had no idea about these things because there was no scripture or Bible or truth. He just knew God is God and I am not. That's all he needed. And we have so much more. Because we do have scripture. Whenever I'm disappointed, whenever you're tempted, whenever you're having a hard time, you can open this book to literally any page and find a lesson and find hope and find encouragement. And do you know what else Job didn't have? He didn't have Jesus. Didn't even know there would be a Jesus. Didn't even know the name. But he longed for it, just like you and I do. Job longed for a Jesus because God made him to long for and need a Jesus, just like you. Job chapter nine, no clue that there would ever be a Messiah. This is what Job prays in the midst of his misery. If only there was a mediator between me and God. Doesn't even know there will be, any, but his soul knows I need one. If only there was a mediator between me and God, someone who could bring us together. The mediator could make God stop beating me and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to God without fear. Job lived before scripture, before Jesus, before understanding, and all he knew was I'm separated from God and I have no idea how or if I'll ever get back. And that is not the case for us because scripture tells us and we have access to it all day, every day. It's probably in your pocket right now. 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. And it is the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message that God gave to the world at just the right time. No scripture, no Jesus never stopped Job from praying from acknowledging God is God and I am not. And if he can do that, how much more can we when we have all of this 66 books of hope and fulfilled promises? Job 13, 15, and 16, many say is like the thesis statement, the main point of the entire book. And it says this, this is Job. He's in a place of desperation now. And he said, all right, not understanding God, not understanding that God is a good father and loving and forget all of it, doesn't know. And still he has enough guts and enough just, all right, here I go. Moxie to say, all right, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I'm going to bring my complaint to him. 
Job is so desperate that he doesn't even know if he just looks up and addresses God personally, if God will be like, whoa, what are you doing? But he's still willing to do it because he knows I have no other hope. People can't help me. Abusing a substance can't help me. Hurting other people can't help me. I can't kill myself, but I know there's a God. That's my only hope. He can help me. Surely, I mean, he made the world. He can help me. But you and I know so much. He can't just help. He wants to help you. So, Job had one option, and it was to go to God with his disappointment and say, God, this is how I feel, and I need your help. In fact, I'm, I'm begging for it. And that was all he needed. And he walked through his trial well. Job knew something that we in this society forget. We are living in an age of entitlement. Oh, I, I deserve that. I, I should have that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says something that Job knew, even though he didn't have this to read. Do you not realize that your body is the temple of God's spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Therefore, you do not belong to yourself. Listen to that, absorb it, believe it now or five years from now, I don't care, but know it. You do not belong to yourself. We belong to God who made us, who didn't have to make us because he bought us with a high price. Job, his kids were killed. He didn't choose that. God chose to let his son die so that we could be reconciled and have a mediator so we could go to God at any time, anywhere, and say, God, I hope you're listening. And he's like, you know I am. God, I need your help. I hope you give it. You know I will. Job knew he belonged to God and that was all he needed to know back then to walk through this trial and that's all you needed to know to walk through yours. You belong to God. He loves you. He fights for you. He sacrificed for you and it is enough to get you through. If Job could stand firm without scripture, without Jesus, how much more should we? Dwight, you guys can head on up here as we wrap up. Job is a depressing book, very sad, but it ends well. The last chapter of Job, Job's friends this whole time have been feeding his head with garbage advice, lies about God, because they didn't understand him either, and saying, Job, you deserve this, it's your fault. Well, God wasn't happy about that, and God had some blessings come in Job's way, but he had to do something first. After Job prayed for his friends to be forgiven, the Lord restored Job's fortunes. Maybe you've already walked through your season of disappointment and you're waiting for that season of blessing, for that grace to come. Have you prayed for the people that, you let, that let you down or that you let down? It's important to God that you do. After Job prayed for his friends to be forgiven, God restored Job's fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. And then his brothers, his sisters, his former friends who had abandoned him, they came and they feasted with him in his home. 
They consoled him. They comforted him because of all his trials. And each of them, they brought a gift of money. They brought him gold rings. And so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than the beginning. And Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. And then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. And if Job had just given up, if Job had followed the world's advice, and I know you guys have bitten some, some garbage advice lately, and just taken his life and said to the people that weren't good to him, he would have missed 140 years of just pure blessing on earth, let alone what was waiting for him in heaven. There's no way to calculate how much hope and encouragement have come to millions and millions and millions of people through the story of Job because Job walked through that well, faithfully, acknowledging God is God and I am not. So many people have faced their own trials, a bad vacation. What is that? But I needed this encouragement this week and it worked. And if Job was given the opportunity, look, you walking through this well is going to be hard, but it is going to encourage millions of people. Or I can just take it away and you can go on your way. What do you think Job would choose? He would choose this every time because he knew God is God and I am not. God's will be done and not my own. God's the giver and the taker. So we're going to respond in just a minute. and We have our tithe, a way for us to acknowledge, God, you're more important to me than this paper in my pocket. We have our communion stations in the back and the front that just remind us, thank you, Jesus, for the cross, for making a way for me to talk to God and know he's listening, he's moving, he's helping. I'm not alone. All things Job didn't have. We're going to sing a worship song, but the primary response today is going to be us praying a psalm. I invite you guys to grab your pen and paper under your chair. And we're going to put up Psalm 44. And you can either write this psalm out or you can just look at it, process it, and write it in your own words. But this is what it says. For your sake, God, we are being killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust. We lie face down in the dirt. So rise up, God, and help us. I want you guys to bring your disappointment to mind. And if you're disappointed, it's probably because you're feeling like that. God, where are you? Help me. Well, ask him. Ask him for help. Beg him for it. Plead with it. Remind him. You said you would. You guys bow your heads. I'm going to pray us into this moment and take advantage of the fact that God is listening to you right now. He's literally got angel messengers ready to go the minute you ask for help, the minute you forgive that person that let you down. Jesus, use this time. We got like four or five minutes here for us to just be real and open and honest. We are hurt. We've got disappointments. We don't understand Help us. 
Help us because you said you would. And we know you said you would because we have the gift of this amazing truth. So bring to mind now, Lord, what you know better than we do. What disappointment do each of us need to give to you, to ask for help from you? Amen. You guys take a few minutes. 